Entrepreneur, author, and financial consultant Mark Bernstein helps high-performing entrepreneurial business owners create a vision for the future and follow through on their goals and intentions. Ange Honorato is a business growth strategist who blends psychology and business together to create conscious leaders and business owners who impact the world. Founders Forum is a radio show podcast sharing the real stories behind entrepreneurship as founders discover more about themselves while providing valuable lessons and some fun and entertainment for you. Now, here's Mark and Ange. Good morning, America. Good morning, Arizona. I'll tell you why in a minute. And good morning, everybody who's listening to the podcast or good evening or whenever it is you happen to be listening. And it's morning if you're listening on the radio. Uh, today we have a special guest that I actually met on the golf course in Aruba a couple of weeks ago. Um, and Mike, I don't think I told you that on the way home, I got COVID on somewhere on the plane, my wife and I on in the airport and the plane was very crowded. Fortunately, it was a very mild case, but it's, you know, it makes you think twice about that thing's not over yet. And, uh, you, you sort of have to be aware. And it, we, honestly, we weren't even thinking it was a thing anymore, but it is. Anyway, um, and we had we talked about a little bit of a thought for the day uh, earlier, and I'll let you introduce that topic, and then we'll bring Mike on. And he may want yeah, to participate yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. So we were chatting prior to the morning show getting on about how Mark and I didn't realize, but we both have a morning practice of doing I am statements, you know, affirmational type of statements, setting daily intentions, um, and really both of us kind of realized that we've been doing that in earnest a lot the last year and sort of how impactful and almost measurable the impact has been on that. So, you know, I'm, we were chatting about it and, you know, we're going to get into a formal introduction here of our guest, uh, Mike today, but Mike, we're just kind of curious. We'd love to, to know, are there, are there any sort of daily practices, morning practices like that, that you have found to be, you know, impactful in, in your life and business or evening? Yeah. Yep. Well, and coincidentally, Mark, both morning and evening, because it's part of the 10th and 11th step of the 12-step program. So every morning, and I don't want to lie and say I do it every morning, but most mornings, I uh, I spend about 15 minutes by myself. I read my daily meditation, and I just ask my higher power, where do you need me today? And I just let the, I just let that guide me. And things don't always go perfect, but I try to start my day with that. And I try to start my day with, you know, making it about something other than myself, because I think about me the second I wake up and I need to think about others, you know, like it, it's just how we are, you know, and I try to center myself to be as unselfish as possible because I instinctively want to be selfish because I wake up. I don't think about, you know, my wife and my kids or anything. I think about what do I have to do today? What do I have got to pack in? And I don't think about anybody else. So I take that 15 minutes to try to center myself on that concept. Yeah, it's the, it's so important. And we'll get into this in, in a little bit further. But I think, you know, it, it's it's amazing that those tenants were built into the 12-step program many, many, many decades ago. So it's it's really wonderful to hear. Yeah. And at night, I review the day and where did I wrong somebody, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So a lot of my, I, I like that because I do wake up, I think everybody's human nature, wake up, think about yourself, of course, yes. but, but a lot of my I am statements are about how I relate with others and how I, you know, want to interact with others and things like that. We were just talking about the difference between affirmations and I am statements and I've done affirmations for many, many years, 
But for me, saying out loud the I am statements is a whole different thing than just an affirmation because it always starts out with I am. So it has to do with your being, not just things that you aspire to or that you, uh, you know, you want in your life or whatever it is. So just a, just a little thought. And that's something that Angie and I were discussing in, but anyway, I, I think all of this plays into what we're going to talk about with Mike today. So, as I mentioned, we met on the golf course, Mike told me a story. I thought it was fascinating. And I said, we got to get you on the show because Mike is founder, CEO, and clinical director of family first Inter- intervention. And, um, Family First Intervention specializes in helping families and their loved ones with substance abuse and mental disorders. Before we talk about your story, which we will, Mike, you, t- you explain to me what's different about what you do versus other intervention centers. Would you mind expanding on that a little bit? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, when we first started doing this a long time ago, back in 05, uh, interventions were basically glorified paid 12-step calls. You got called in to talk somebody's loved one into treatment. And over time, through experience and of course education, you realize that the family is significantly more unwell than the substance user. And to think that we're just gonna go and take somebody to treatment and that family's gonna get better because they're there is just not true. All of our work, well, I shouldn't say all of it, the majority of it anyway, occurs afterwards. And most people don't believe this until it happens. The better the person does in treatment, the worse the family gets. They lose that sense of purpose. They lose that role of being needed. Their unhealthy family roles try to find its way home to balance and they go berserk. I mean, I've had people doing well, like, you know, wanting to extend in treatment and the family wants to sue us. And, and it's just how, and yeah. by the way that doesn't do well for the long term of the original patient either I would, I would Well that's a great question because we've actually done reverse interventions to where when the substance user gets better and the family refuses to get better we actually bring them in to tell the family what that we actually it goes from family setting boundaries on them to get them in now the substance user setting boundaries to back off Right but you're dealing you're dealing with that issue without dealing with it i think that would be that would 100% and most interventionists they do i will always concede to the fact that they do as well of a job as we do of talking people and some may even be better at it but where they can't and where they lack is they don't have you know a 30 person team of interventionists and clinicians to handle all of the necessary involvement with what occurs afterwards because you got 10 family members and even though you're running your weekly groups, they're all popping off in different times of days with different issues. How is one or two people with an intervention firm going to handle that? They're not. They right. tell you they will on the front end. And then, you know, you read the reviews on the back end and they couldn't. So what you do is more complex, obviously, because you've got a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving people, but a much more effective, I've got to imagine. Well, 100%. I mean, interventionists come in and tell mom, don't give them money. Our question is, mom, what do you get out of giving them money? We get behind the scenes of what hit are you getting? Because an enabler is a drug addict. Their drug of choice is the IP, the person. You know, every single family system has a role. You got the perfectionist hero. You got the primary enabler. And the list goes on, the martyr, et cetera. All those people are just as sick. So it's one thing to say, don't do that. The other part is to help them understand why they do it. And that's what makes us completely different. Mike, you also mentioned to me, I believe, that what you did was – you wouldn't call it this because you wouldn't take this kind of credit, but innovative 
uh, maybe the first firm that's really handling it that way. And I believe you've kind of started a movement that there's, you know, sort of national movement in that area. Is that a, is that a fair assumption? Yeah, and you're right. I do not want to sound like my ego is too big for the screen because I'm humbled by this. But when we first started doing this, as I said, not one interventionist in the nation even had the word family on their website. Mm. And as we evolved and have become the leader and the largest in the nation, you go online now and there isn't an interventionist in the country that doesn't have the exact verbiage and or structure of their organization as we do. And I'm humbled by that. You know, at first I was angered, like you're stealing my stuff. Now it's like, good. <laughs> yeah. Now man. just make sure you got the manpower to do it. Don't put it on your website and not follow through. But there is a movement, you know, and I even had a professor, uh, you know, who, who, who told me I wrote a, a paper. It was called Forgotten Families. I don't think he knew what I did. And I remember sitting in his room, in his office, he's like, thank you for you know, writing about this. This is because even in graduate school, it's like the family's such a tiny piece. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all about the addict and the alcoholic. And it's like, we're ripping through this family system like a tornado and nobody talks about it. It's like, oh, they'll be fine. No. Yeah. So we have created a movement and I'm grateful for it and I'm humbled by it. And I just, like I said, I don't mind people piggybacking, just do it if you say you're going to do it. Just don't put it on the website so families buy your product and then drop them like a hot potato after they hire you. So we're going to, make- we're going, we're going. I just want to ask you one question about when you started that, which will lead into your story, and then we'll get more into the details. So, um, how long ago was that that you started with the family first type of intervention? Well, I started doing interventions in 2005 for another intervention firm, and I could notice. We all could notice within you know, very short period of time, that part. And they just weren't on board with that. I'm grateful for them. There's nothing bad to say. They've helped me with my career. But I started Family First because of that. That's where the name came from. I didn't, I always say, I didn't pick that name because GoDaddy had it on sale. Right. right. There was some some thought went into that. Sure. And, and then I started Family First. And we were just, you know, just myself in a spare bedroom of my home. And then I brought one other person in to help me with interventions, but I was doing everything. And then it just slowly over time, one more person at a time and where the growth really occurred wasn't just the phone calls because of the website presence. It was the aftercare part because I was I was on the phone all day, every day, like whack-a-mole <laughs> with all these families. And we were only doing like five interventions, 10 interventions at the time a month. Now we do 30 to 40. Mm. You know what I mean? So it was there was a lot that had to be done. So that's where it came from. It's just how much energy and how much time was necessary afterwards. Like the call, the setup, the scheduling, that's the easy part. But man, when that intervention was over, when it was successful, when it's not successful, it's almost like, okay, well, we know how to do this. But when the substance user goes, I mean, I got I got a 7,800 square foot office behind the scenes of one person going into the home to intervene. Think about that. Right. Mm. Yeah. How, how many employees do you have? Just I know you mentioned 30 uh, yeah, inter- have, interventionists. Uh, but Yeah, we have 11 office employees, and then we have uh, 18 uh, interventionists, and then we have actually 12 because we have an office manager. So, but, so and then, of course, we've got a full web team. That doesn't even include in the count. There's a, there's a six-person web team. Got it. That I collaborate with. So yeah, it's a big operation for intervention. So tell us a little bit about your background and how, you know, what brought you to where you are today? My background. Well, I grew up in a pretty normal household. I shared with you guys before this, there was Mm -hmm. a couple of things that uh, obviously happened in my life that 
I think I was always lost, but uh, I started using painkillers at an early age. And I had went to a junior college uh, called Harper in Palatine, Illinois. And I remember when I was there and I, I was getting my associate degree. And I remember I was taking massive amounts of hydrocodone. I had a friend who had Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer. and He was giving me meds and I was just getting from everywhere. But I remember I said, if I get accepted to Northern Illinois University's business school, I'll quit. And I did. And I just cold turkey stopped. And I went away to school and I got my degree in finance and I drank, but I wasn't like alcoholic level. And then the day I got home for my graduation, one of my friends I used to get high with gave me hydrocodones and I took them and I was off to the races, but I managed to get a job. I was working for Ameritech and then went downtown to Arthur Anderson, the big five accounting firm. Mm. And then uh, I went to rehab and uh, I had met a girl and she introduced me to heroin. And that was in 2000. I graduated college in 97. And then that was in 2000. And by 2002, I was an inmate in the Illinois Department of Corrections. Wow. Um, because and it, and it was for a nonviolent crime. Even I remember the judge even saying, I've never seen somebody try so hard to go to prison. Because I was just like this easy probation. And I just kept violating. Like I did everything. they took. I just couldn't pass a drug test. Mm. And uh, I got out and then I hit the heroin hard to the point of if it wasn't for my parents' basement, I mean, I was just, I was nothing. And then in uh, 2005, uh, they staged an intervention and, uh, and I went to treatment. And I also remember I left treatment and I remember um, the interventionist telling my mom and dad not to answer the phone. And they helped them hold boundaries. And uh, I ended up staying. And, and I ended up staying out in Valparaiso, Indiana for six months. Let's and then go ahead. Let's finish in a minute. That, we have to take a break. That, and it was that intervention company that hired me after that. Excellent. Um, I know Ange has some great, uh, more detailed questions to ask you, but right before that, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Are you feeling helpless watching a loved one struggle with addiction? You don't have to face it alone, and you don't have to wait for rock bottom. Family First Intervention is the industry leader in intervention services and family counseling, support, and recovery. They understand the impact of addiction on families. It's not just about the substance user, it's about the family too. Their team is there to help you navigate through the challenges and find resolution. At Family First Intervention, they focus on empowering the entire family system. Their expert team will guide you through the process, offering support and understanding every step of the way. No more fear or uncertainty. Take control and create positive change. Don't wait for permission to ask for help. Your family's well-being is the priority. Call 1-888-316-5950 or visit family-intervention.com and take the first step towards healing today. Change is possible. They can help. Take it away, Ange. <laughs> well, Mike, um, you know, as you're speaking both offline and, and sharing your story here today, you know, I, the first thing I'm thinking is I wish we had a podcast format like Lex Friedman or Lewis Howes where we could talk about three hours about this topic because it's just so big <laughs> and there's so many different pieces to it. But um you know, two two couple or a couple of things that popped into my mind quickly as you were speaking. Number one, the fact that you're very humbled by and and now you know want to share the innovative approach that you've developed 
into the world. And, and it reminds me very much, and we were talking offline about Gabra Mate and Dick Schwartz, the creator of internal family systems. And I'm sure you're aware of this, where I think Dick often talks about the same thing, where he was a trained family systems you know, therapist, and then very quickly realized that well, that was a, a key part of this, that there's also internal family, there's different parts and different family, you know, members, if you will, in each one of us. And I think the combination of the understanding of both of that, right, that um, usually the addict or the person that's getting the spotlight is really just the, sometimes the unconscious cycle breaker in that family. And the real work does have to focus on the family, the generational inherited piece, the dynamics of that, the systems piece of that. Um, you know, and, and I've grown up in, in the same way. You know, I, I went to rehab, a sister of mine went to rehab. We, it's taken 30 years to realize that we've got to fix the family, but I also experienced what you did, which is the intervention. And then everybody thinks, oh, the problem is solved when you, you know, address the quote unquote, the addict. And so what I'm curious about is, um, you know, how did this actually come about for you? I mean, you, you experienced it, but what helped you kind of see in the marketplace that this was not the approach that was working? And what are some of the, the ways in which you were able to kind of get that momentum behind? Because, you know, you're going in and changing mindsets of trained therapists that don't necessarily like to change new technologies and modalities. So I'm curious about how that worked for you. Well, the family showed me the way, you know, I didn't, I, they, they're the ones that picked up the phone and called me with the crisis is after the intervention. It didn't take but a week to see the common denominators and patterns. You know, everybody thinks they're terminally unique, but you could set a watch to 99% of the behaviors we experience at these interventions. That's why families think, I mean, we have this addiction manual and families think that I personally wrote it for their situations. Like, no, we've had the same one for 20 years. You're no different than the next family. You think you are, but you're not. And it was, you know, families led the way. They showed me what they needed. And then, of course, when I went back to, you know, school and, and got my degree in addiction studies and counseling, I learned a lot more about it. But again, they didn't even touch on it. So it was just, it was experiencing it in the real world. You know, it was watching what happened after the intervention. And then it was about, you know, when I first started taking phone calls, I thought I was going to be like a, a receptionist at a doctor's office. They're just going to call and schedule these things. I didn't realize how involved it was to try to get people to do this. I mean, nine out of 10 people accept help when we get there. One out of 10 families let us come. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's like we talked before. Most of my calls come from moms. 90% of my calls are shot down by dad yeah. or, or the oldest, you know, hero son or daughter, which is most, mostly the son, but it was trial and error. It was just the experience. I mean, truth be told prior to, I mean, I had a degree in finance at the time. I knew nothing about this, but I mean, I mean, I'd be the smartest guy, but I wasn't an idiot. I picked up on patterns and it was like, it was the same thing. Every single intervention family went berserk when they got better. Family wasn't upset when they said no. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And there were the same calls afterwards and then it just expanded. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to, you know, say, and we've talked about this, you know, before Mark and I, and one of our other shows, um, you know, I went to graduate school and actually undergrad and graduate school and graduated, um, grad in 2005. And I said, you know, none of these, the family systems or IFS, which was developed at the time, didn't even make it in my textbooks. No. Right. So it's, it's to me, it's, it's, um, it's so important, the work that you're doing. I think there's, there's, there's an educational piece to this, you know, in the, in the world, in the market. Um, and so I'm just really excited that, that you've been able to, I mean, unfortunately to go through what you had to go through, but being 
in the seat that you have, it's going to continue to, to, you know, hopefully build momentum and, and really heal lives, change the world, really not to be over gratuitous about it. But I, I really believe that. Thank you. Um, Mike, and everything I, happens for a reason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, um, I wanted to ask you, cause you are a business owner and you are a founder and, Given that, one of the questions we'd like to ask here is about future vision. And I know you've wanted to discuss your 10-year vision. And, in, and when you do that, be as colorful as you can about, you know, yourself, your business. Your, you know, obviously, you're a, you're, in a, you're a servant to people in terms of what you do, but you're also a business owner. So what is your vision for the future? Might include your family, whatever else you'd like to include. But I'd like to hear if, you know, if today is... July, today we're July of 2033, 10 years from now, and we're talking, we're looking back on the last 10 years. What would need to happen for you to feel like, boy, that was a really a successful 10-year period in my life? You know, when you just asked that question, I, I hadn't thought about I thought about it, but something just popped into my head and uh, mm. I got a little emotional. Uh, my dad, um, taught me a long time ago and I'll never forget I was a young kid and he said do you know why we won World War II and I said no he said because the Germans spread themselves too thin Hmm. don't ever spread yourself too thin do one thing and do it right Hmm. so when you ask me about my 10-year vision when I look at our industry um, there's so many people jumping into this space that shouldn't be We've got people now charging crazy amounts of money for intervention trainings, for coached interventions over the phone. That's like calling your lawyer and saying, here's a five grand retainer. I'm going to go to court. Tell me what to do. So why am I telling you this? Because my 10-year vision is to keep doing what I'm doing and do more of it and to continue to work on how we can better you know, increase our outcomes for families who are in our family recovery coaching program. I want to follow my dad's advice. I don't want to, I don't want to spread myself into all these other things for money grabs. I want to do more of this. I want to build our website. I want to become a bigger presence, bigger than we already are, and just continue to help the people that call, help their loved ones find sobriety, and help those families, regardless of whether or not their loved ones find sobriety, and just continuously chip away at the engagement rate and the outcome for the family's success so that one day they don't need us or a therapist. They will intuitively, instinctively know kind of the ninth step promises. They intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle them. So my 10-year vision is to be much bigger and just doing more of what we're doing. So so I'll put another set of words to that is to focus on your unique ability and only do that, which, which I think is wonderful. I don't want to spread myself too thin and just start doing going out there like these other interventionists. Like I said, it just it rubs me the wrong way. It's like when families are like, well, we got a guy that's going to talk us into how to do an intervention over the phone for three grand. That's not my 10 year vision. Because yep. you can get that service for free at your 12 step fellowship all from the members of AA. Absolutely. Believe it or not, we only have a few minutes left. And I know, Angie, you had a couple quick questions for Mike. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as, as a natural extension to that you know, vision, Mike, is as you're now looking the other direction, right? So looking backwards, what would be the most important, you know, well, kind of a two-part question. If you were to be able to look at your and talk to your younger self, what would you say? And then also what would be, 
you know, the perfect legacy for you to be able to leave behind based on the work that you've, you've been doing? What I would tell my younger self is the same thing I try to teach my twin daughters, where you always got to remember, you don't know what another person's going through. So don't take how they treat you personally, because when somebody doesn't like you, it's usually because they see something in you they don't like about themselves or they remind you, you remind them of somebody they don't like. And I would, you know, because I used to take things personally and I always tried to um, be unselfish because, again, instinctively, I would want my younger self to know that, you know, it's one thing to do something for somebody, but what are the motives behind it? You know, because it's like I always make the joke, if I ever get arrested again, it'll be from stealing my dollar back out of the basket at Starbucks, (laughs) because if I give the barista the dollar and he or she doesn't see me, whoa. But so what's the motive? Am I tipping for them or am I tipping for me? So now if I tip at Starbucks or wherever I'm at, I make sure I do it when they're not watching. I don't like it, but I do it. So that's what I would tell my younger self is that make sure that when you're doing something for somebody else, you're doing it for them and not you. And you trust me, you'll know the feeling when it is for them versus it being for you. And as far as a legacy, um, I would like to be known as a good dad and a good husband. Um, and I'd like to be known for putting people first. It goes back to what I said, my 10 year vision. I don't ever want to make this about money. And yes, everybody, this is a business. We make money people all the time too. It's about the money. It's like, tell me one place that isn't, you know what I mean? Even nonprofits are about the money. These just have different accounting structures. We all know that. Um, but at the end of the day, I just want to be, I've always said that the second that I count the money before the vision of the company, I have to get out and Mm -hmm. I haven't got there yet. So it's like putting the family first. I want to be the legacy. And I guess I always wonder what's going to be on my headstone. I just hope people think I was genuine. You know, I just want my daughters to, you know, know that they had a good dad because I had a good dad, you know? So I just, uh, I don't know. I just, I want to be unselfish and I want to stay humble, you know, because sometimes there's not a hand big enough to pat me on the back. You know, and it's like sometimes when things go the right way, I want to take credit for that. And I got to remember that, you know, somebody told me a long time ago, nobody's had an original thought since Adam and Eve. Right. So we're just we're all regurgitating other people's information. So who am I to think that I'm the end all be all of information? I may have found a way to package it differently, but we're all just using each other's stuff. It's all about the presentation, but it's about where you're delivering it from. And that's what I think the biggest difference is. And if I could leave you with that, it's that's what I always wanted our website to be. If you look at our website, it's not about us. It's about families. And when you look at other people's websites, it's about them, not the people. And I don't ever want to be that guy. Mike, um, yeah. I, w- I would tell you this. You, both, you definitely occur to both of us as a very authentic soul who is in service of others. And as a result, I hope you make all the money in the world as long as you keep that that purpose, you know, in front of you, which I know you will. And uh, you and your your appearance on the show has only reinforced that today. So uh, it's really been a pleasure. Maybe we'll have time to continue again in the future and get yeah, into some absolutely. deeper deeper issues. I know Ange wants to do that. Yeah, we, yeah, we've got this could be a five part show in my mind. Mike, <laughs> I, I hate to tell you this, but she says this to every guest, so it's like I know. maybe. Well, I know. <laughs> 
Well, we're just getting such such amazing <laughs> game are. changers. You know, we, we need are. to change the name of the the show to Game Changer Forum because you know it's. Uh, all totally right, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> Mark, I know something. this. She says it to everybody. This is where I'm going to let my ego overtake my humility. <laughs> but well, the reality is, it is because we have very interesting people on the show, and we'll ha- we'll have a lot of part two. So we'll see you on down the road. And listen, for everybody, uh, thanks for joining us today on Founders Forum. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you again next week and hearing you again.